They say it takes a certain kind of preacher uh, to preach on controversial subjects. Um, someone, certainly someone with a lot more skill and experience than I have. Um, but this week, I, I really felt like God was calling me to, uh, to speak on something uh, a little bit risky. Something that you may or may not agree with everything I'm going to say. Um, you might not hold the same opinion as I do. Um, but it's, it's kind of one of those Marmite subjects, I'll be honest. Um, but I need to be open and honest with you from the start. I hold very, very strongly to the slightly controversial view that I am a big lover of camping. I love camping. Camping is, is just one of the best things. I know some of you are like, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't go near a tent these days. That's not my thing. I don't like camping. I love camping. Camping is just one of the great things. Like last weekend, we weren't here because we were in just outside the Lake District camping with Hetty's family. And it was great. We had a good time, didn't we, love? Yeah, we did. Um, <laughs> and I, I love camping. I wanted to spend all of the summer holidays camping. Um, and so because it is Back to church, back to, did it, back to school Sunday. Um, I thought, in order to get into the minds of children and young people, what might they have been doing over the last six weeks before going back to school? They may have been on a family camping trip if they were like me. Um, and I love camping so much. Like, even as a child, even as a child, my dad would pitch a tent in the back garden for the whole of the summer holidays. And it was like I had this extra, like, play space that I could go and enjoy um, I, when there wasn't enough room in the house. It was really good. And then I was older. As a, as a young person, I got my first own tent that was mine, and I was suddenly a homeowner. And I could go and pitch my tent, like, over by some place at a festival or whatever, or I could go and pitch my tent at a campsite, and it would go up in 20 minutes, and there you go, and there was no need for planning permission, there was no need for structural engineering drawings, there was no need for any of that stuff. 20 minutes, my home was there. No mortgage, just I was a homeowner, and I was proud of my home. Oh, I was proud of my home. I love camping. Camping's so good. Camping is so good. Um, you'll be glad to know, though, that the aim of today's message isn't to convert you to being camping lovers. Um, it isn't. Although, if I was to try, I did convert Hetty. Um, and so I do think maybe I would be in for a good chance. But that's not the point. As a camper, as a camper, I have really appreciated that God seems to have been speaking to me recently um, through the passage that Steve Rode read um, from Isaiah of enlarging the place of your tent. Uh, I've, I've picked up a few tents over the years. I've got a couple of small tents. There is a point to this, by the way. Um, I've got a couple of small tents. Um, recently, we've got this really nice Airbeam tent that's just the right size um, for me and Hetty. We've got a bedroom space and then a lounge area. It's a really good tent. Um, goes up dead quick. Um, but I also, from years ago, I have this huge tent like this huge blue palace of a tent that I used to take to festivals. Uh, I'd take youth groups away, um, and it, it, was, it was great. It really served its purpose. It had like four big bedrooms in it, and then in the middle, it has like this giant lounge area for socializing that can fit um, like inflatable sofas and a table and chairs and things like that. Great tent, haven't used it in years, um, but 
it is a very enlarged tent. Now, if Hattie and I were going away from the weekend, let's say, and I turned up with the huge blue palace of a tent, the very enlarged tent in the back of the car, I pulled it out and I spent the good hour, hour and a half it takes to put up um, and, and fill it with all the like, camping furniture and everything and the palace is there, it's ready to go. Hetty's main question, as I'm sure many of your questions would be, is why? Why have you brought that huge thing for the two of us? Who were you expecting? Who have you invited that I don't know about? Who are you going to have a party with whilst we're here in the middle of nowhere in a field? Like, why have you enlarged the tent game this time, Tabs? And this prophecy from Isaiah, to me, seems as ludicrous. It seems just crazy, if not more so, probably considerably more so. Um, on Back to School Sunday, we're focusing on our children and young people, and we read this prophecy from Isaiah about a, a woman who has no children, a, a barren woman. And in today's culture, that is a really painful thing. That's a really awful thing. But in the culture that Isaiah was speaking into, you also had heaps on top of that a whole load of shame um, and injustice in the way barren women were treated. It really was, I, I think, quite disgusting. Um, but Isaiah tells Israel that despite having had the shame of living in exile, having lived through this long season of unfruitfulness, as if she were a barren woman, that she needs a bigger tent. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch the curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen the cords. Strengthen the stakes. Why? Who were we expecting? Who's going to turn up? We have been like um, unfruitful for so long. We've been in exile. Like, what, what's about to happen? The descendants that God had promised the nation of Israel over all those years, were about, to, were about to come, generation after generation after generation. It was time for Israel to be fruitful again. Israel is giving this powerful vision of God's people preparing to receive a generation, going back to school, a new start, fresh growth that may need to stretch the walls of their tent out a little bit to be ready for. A few chapters earlier... Uh, but in the same context, Isaiah prophesies, he says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Isaiah is casting a vision. Isaiah is casting a vision into God's people, a vision of redemption, of restoration, of a kingdom, of growth, of power, of victory. That is a vision that I believe we need right now in Southport more than ever. So, looking back at Isaiah's prophecy, what can we take to today? What can we learn in 2022 here today? The first thing is the importance of having a vision. How important it is to have a vision, to move forwards, to see what is coming, or at least to dream and long for it. Having a vision involves a lot of faith. Uh, it means stepping out. 
It means acting on what you want to see uh, before it's happened or to be ready for what God has promised. Enlarging the tent before there's anyone to fill it. Getting an idea, stepping out in faith and running with it. This happens all the time in the business world. Entrepreneurs are forever doing startups and things like that, starting up with visions of what their business might look like. There's all sorts of big examples in history you could think of, but keeping it local and historical, Southport as a town itself started with a pretty foolish vision of one guy called Mr. Sutton who decided to just build a guest house in the middle of nowhere. The nearest dwellings were Churchtown, possibly Birkdale. I'm not an expert, um, and I wasn't there, definitely. Um, But now you look at Southport, what was crazy back then, and people were like, what on earth are you doing, Mr. Sutton? That's ridiculous. Now you have a town with tens of thousands of people in it. That's a pretty large tent. And so if the business world can think like this, how much more should we, as the church, be able to? When we have a vision right here, we have a vision right here that is bigger than we could ever dream or imagine. And it's even partly come to fruition already, God's kingdom. There is so much in the name of God's kingdom that has gone on in our lives, in our town, in our church. It has partly come. And as we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are asking for God's kingdom to come on earth as in heaven. And so what does that look like in our individual lives? What visions are we working to? As a youth worker, I love asking young people what their vision for their life is. What are they dreaming about achieving in the future? What do they want to be remembered for? Not to put the pressure on when they're too young, like some people do in education, but to help them think, who am I? What is my purpose? What's my vision for my life? What legacy do I want to leave behind? And I want to ask you those questions this morning as well. What is our vision? As Christchurch, our vision is impacting Southport with God's unconditional love and transforming power. We want to see uh, people growing. We want to see lives changed, a community built, the presence of God, the good news communicated with relevance. And I believe it is so important to remember that at the moment. That is something that we need to stay true to as our call and our identity, that we actually aim for that and not let it just be churchy words that sit and fester untouched. Like I said, I work for Southport and Area Schools Worker Trust. and We're celebrating Back to School Sunday. Um, And I believe this vision of Isaiah um, is a vision that speaks powerfully into our vision for children and young people today that it's time to enlarge the tent. We have an incredible opportunity to make a difference in this generation right now. There are um, research by Scripture Union a a few years ago um, said that 95% of children and young people have no engagement with church. I've I've said that a few times here at Christchurch. The research has progressed. The trends have gone on since then. It's probably more like 97, 98% now. And you have a generation of young people who are several generations removed from when church was a normal part of cultural society. 
And that kind of sounds bad, but actually, I find when I talk to children and young people, they don't come with the baggage of those generations that their parents and their grandparents may have had. They actually come with a fresh curiosity of the, the things of life, the things of faith, the big questions. And we have some great conversations. Um, I am now on my ninth back-to-school Sunday working for the Schools Worker Trust. Um, and I, I think back over all the experiences that I've been privileged to see in schools, and I think about all the seeds that have been sown by those uh, before me and those alongside me, the youth workers and, and volunteers across this town, and I think, wow, Jesus would look at that and say, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch the tent curtains wide. The tent curtains don't just go around our church grounds on a Sunday. Those tent curtains need to be stretched across the whole community of this town. They need to be stretched so that we can reach a lost generation. We are to not hold back, to lengthen our cords, to strengthen our stakes. It seems crazy, it does seem crazy when you, you look at how many young people engage with the church at the moment, and you think, what have we got to give them when we can't even bring a few of them into our building to do family with? What have we got that we could give to this generation um, riddled with mental health issues, with um, broken families, with addictions and afflictions and uh, digital overload and everything else? What have we got that they would be interested in? We have everything they could ever need in all eternity. And so one thing that we're looking at doing um, here at Christchurch um, with the Schools Worker Trust is the Youthscape Essentials course, um, which is all about equipping the local church, equipping the local church to connect with young people. Something that we want to do with this is um, every Tuesday night from the 20th of September in the cafe here from half seven to half nine, we'll be doing a course for those involved in youth ministry already as volunteers or those wanting to be. Um, and that's 10 weeks. And it is a great course, really well put together course from Youthscape as a national charity. Um, but the first five weeks, I have rearranged... Um, I did get permission. I've rearranged them to make them open to anyone. They're full of insights into this generation that we're talking about. They're full of insights into how the local church can connect with young people. And that doesn't just mean church leadership teams and preachers learning to communicate more effectively with teenagers. It means anyone. If you know a young person, if you're related to a young person, how much do you want to be able to relate better to them, to connect with them, and to help them understand this faith in Jesus that you have? Please do take a look at the, um, the there's a board at the back with details about it. There is online booking. Um, we're really excited for the impact that will, that will have um, because the work is off you. That doesn't just mean the employed staff. That's a whole other issue. Um, enlarge the place of your tent. Strengthen the stakes. It takes a village to raise a child. But there is more. There is more in this, um, in this prophecy of Isaiah. There's a second thing in this. Um, that is the greatness 
of what God has in store for us. Isaiah says, for a brief moment, I abandoned you. He's speaking prophetically from God. For a brief moment, I abandoned you. But with deep compassion, I will bring you back. I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now, under the old covenant, God couldn't look upon their sinfulness as people. Um, and so they, he hid his face from them. That meant they went into exile for 70 years. 70 years they were in exile under the Babylonians. Um, 70 years of unfruitfulness as a nation. 70 years of being the losers, the failures, the beaten, the downtrodden, the cast out, the held captive. And Isaiah comes along and refers to that 70 years with um, deep pastoral sensitivity as a brief moment. Now, I don't know about you, um, but if Isaiah came along and said that to me after I'd spent 70 years in exile, I would be pretty outraged that he was referring to my pain and suffering of 70 years as a brief moment. Seems to belittle it just a tad, don't you think? But then the more I thought about it, I realized that what Isaiah was saying was that compared to the vastness of the promised everlasting love, kindness, and faithfulness of our eternal, all-powerful God, that 70 years of suffering was minuscule. That 70 years of suffering was just but a tiny blip in their history relative to how outbalanced it was by the eternal fullness and faithfulness of God being promised to them and to us today. Whatever challenges we might face in life, let's take this as a comfort. Let's take it as a motivation to see light at what can seem like a very long tunnel. In Psalm 30, um, David writes, for God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favour lasts a lifetime. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. The pain you are facing, however overwhelming it might seem at the time, is only brief and momentary compared to the vastness and might of the eternal vision that God has for our lives. A very wise and pastoral friend of ours recently spoke powerfully into mine and Hetty's uh, lives, into a really heartbreaking situation that involves a lot of us here. Um, and he described it as this. He said, it can feel like Good Friday has happened. And the darkness and emptiness of Holy Saturday can be unbearable. But Sunday is coming. God's plan, God's huge eternal vision will always come about by resurrection. But the thing that he said that really blew my mind and totally melted my heart was that that resurrection doesn't mean resuscitation. Resurrection doesn't mean resuscitation. That might speak to you as well, that although there is pain in the moment and all you want to do is turn back time, actually something much better is coming. We don't know when, but something much better is coming a resurrection. 
For those of you like me, who your mind went to thinking about uh, the church in our, in our nation um, and, and what, how it perhaps looks a bit like a barren woman sometimes, a childless um, woman with no children left, I, I find more and more that when I visit churches and I talk about our work, I end up in a conversation with someone who wants to comment in their grief at how sad it is that they don't have the children and the families and the young people worshipping with them at their church. We're blessed here that we do have some. But so often in those conversations, I find myself listening and hearing that same retort of, I wish it was what it was like back in the old days. I wish we could turn back time before this brief moment in history. Like, people think I'm, I'm crazy, but I, I actually find myself thinking the opposite. I, I'm actually really excited to see what the church looks like in 20, 30 years' time. I am full of anticipation for that uh, because people, yeah, people think I'm crazy, but... I'm excited about what that looks like. I have a huge amount of anticipation and hope because the worldly signs might not be there yet, but the promises of God, his immense faithfulness, are always ringing true. Because I believe we need a resurrection. We need to put our faith in the resurrection of Jesus and all that that means for us today and through eternity. We need to be living demonstrations of that resurrection to others. We need to carry a message that says to the world around us, to our friends, that we have a vision of something better, something of so much better than the suffering that they may be facing, that we are facing, something that is to come. Something new and hopeful where all the world will rejoice and bring glory to God for the rest of eternity. Steve read Paul's uh, letter to us to the Corinthians where it says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power from God is from God and not from us. We we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed. A few verses later, Paul continues to write, and I'll finish with this. Therefore... Do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. We have vision. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Let's let's pray together. And Lord, as the as the psalmist writes, restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev, that barren land that gets flooded with streams. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carry seed to sow, will return with songs of joy.
carrying sheaves with them. Lord, thank you that your kingdom can be so backward sometimes, but yet so full of favour. In our worldly ways of thinking, if I planted a cucumber, I would get a cucumber, not an onion. If I was to breed cats, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a herd of elephants. I'd have kittens. But yet in your kingdom, God, what we sow in tears, we return with songs of joy. Lord, would you come and abide with us? Fast falls the eventide, for darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee, help of the helpless, O oh, abide with me. Swift to close ebbs out life's little day. Earth's joys grow dim, its glories pass away. Change and decay in all around I see. Oh, you who changes not, abide with me. I fear no foe, with you at hand to bless. Ills have no weight and tears no bitterness. Where is death sting? Where grave your victory? I triumph still if God abides with me. Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes. Shine through the gloom and point me to the skies. Heaven's morning breaks and earth's vain shadows flee. In life, in death, O oh Lord, abide with me. Abide with me. Abide with me. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your eternal faithfulness. Thank you for that comfort, that reassurance to trust, to trust in you, to trust in your name. That knowledge of a vision of heaven where you have that victory.